Hi, you're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Impact Church in Fredericksburg, Virginia. I'm Pastor Brandon, the church planter and lead pastor. We are a new church in the D.C. area that is centered on the gospel and sent to our neighborhoods, Northern Virginia, and the nations. Please visit our website at www.impactfxbg.church. There, you'll find our current meeting times and locations. Our prayer is that you are encouraged by the message you hear today and fall more in love with Jesus and others. Thanks for listening. Uh, We're not going to, though. If you have a Bible, go ahead and get that out. Uh, If you're new to church or maybe it's your first time back to church after a long time and you don't have a Bible, feel free to use your phone or tablet and, uh, and go with me to the book of 1 Timothy. And uh, we're going to be hanging out in 1 Timothy chapter 6 today. And uh, as you turn there or scroll there, I want to encourage you too, as you came in today, uh, you may have noticed some, we call them response cards that were on your seat. A lot of times those those cards kind of get handed down and passed down the road, but you'll want to go ahead and get those cards back out. And, uh, and uh, what I want to encourage you to do is that blue part, uh, we're going to ask everybody that's here today, uh, whether it's your first time or your 50th time, to fill that card out. Out and drop it off in the giving station um, on your way out today or during our response time. Just lets us know that one, you are here. Uh, two, any ways that we can help you take your next steps. And, uh, and three, gives us a prayer request so that our team uh, that meets every Thursday morning can pray for you and pray over uh, your request. So We'll do that. You'll also notice a place for you to take notes today, and I want to encourage you guys uh, to take notes during our message today. So as a church, you may have already noticed, but we are a little bit different of a church, right? And uh, a little bit different, you may come in and go, oh, this doesn't feel like what I thought it would or a church would, and uh, we're okay with that uh, because what we want to do is we want you to actually be the church and participate today, not just feel like you came to a movie or something like that. And so taking notes is a way that you can lean into God's Word today and not just sit back and be entertained by me uh, because that, that is a uh, short trip, I can guarantee you. But you can actually like take notes and engage with God's word today, and that's our hope and our prayer for everyone that's that's here today. Um, so uh, today, uh, church fam, depending on your uh, attitude about it, um, this is either a great day or a hard day. But uh, we are finishing up the book of First Timothy today. So we are. I see that hand, Mark. Yeah, just praise the Lord. Yeah, it's the most excited you've been in a long time. So we're going to finish First Timothy uh, today, and uh, as we do that. Man, I'm, I'm really excited, and uh, I'm not going to take the time today to rehash everything we've done in 1 Timothy, but just so you have some context, like uh, this is a letter written by a guy named Paul who was a mentor, a spiritual father of sorts, to a guy named Timothy. And Timothy was the pastor of this new church plant in the Roman Empire in a city called Ephesus. And so being a new church ourselves, we thought, man, what a better way to get started than to read what are some of the instructions that that the first church gave that they did to a church plant. And so we've just kind of been going through and we've even taken moments where we've been reading uh, the word and we've taken moments and just stopped and said, man, it says to do this. Let's do that. And, and then we'd stop and do it, and then we'd pick back up in the Word and, and read. And I don't know about you, but it brings me so much joy to be a part of a church. And it's one of the reasons I love you so much, and I love this church, is because we're just trying to, man, our foundation is Jesus, and everything we build on it, we want it to be the Bible. Like, we don't want to get any of our hot ideas from, you know, whatever my preferences are. We want to get them from God's preferences and God's word. And so uh, today it's really interesting because Paul kind of ends his letter to Timothy and to this church, uh, this church plant, with a little bit of a heavy tone. Like, you know, it's kind of like when I end messages, even if the whole letter was heavy, I usually end with something light. You know, like it could be like, man, this is horrible and everything's going wrong and this whole thing is messed up and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then I'm going to end with, um, but man, I hope everything's well. Tell the family I said hello. Like, how about them braves? Like, let's do something. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I just kind of will end on a lighter note, you know, so at least you read and be like, man, that was heavy. But uh, hey, Ellen, uh, they say, hey, you know, it's so good. And uh, and that's kind of the way, but this ends opposite. Like it gives us a lot of instruction 
And then Paul actually ends with kind of a little bit heavy of a tone. And what he's talking about is he's talking about how life is a battle. How life is like a fight and like a battlefield. And, uh, and I know that that's not always easy, and we don't always like to hear that, right? But can we just be honest right here today? It's true, isn't it? Like, life is a little bit like a battle. And here's the thing. Like, I don't mean to disrupt your good mood. Like, you probably came in, you got your ice latte, you're hanging out, you're like, dude, I just came to church. Like, everything's going good so far. It's only 11 o'clock. Like, we're doing, we're doing pretty good, and you're bringing out the battlefield first thing on a Sunday morning. Like, I understand that, but the reason why is because if you don't feel like you're in a battle right now, then you probably feel like you just came out of a battle. Or you might need to be preparing because a battle might be coming in a little bit. And so we all understand what this means, and um, man, this, was, this has happened, I feel like, so much, especially in the last year or two, but I just have a confession to make um, to you as a church, as your pastor. I just feel like you need to know this, because a lot of times your eyes are blinded um, by my youthfulness, but I'm actually getting very old. I am, I am old. I am turning, Daryl, I'm turning 38 years old. I am. No, 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 you can roll your eyes all you want. But I feel it every time I get out of bed. Every morning I roll out, I'm like, oh, it's almost 38. I'm feeling it. Like I just, you know, it's just, it's just kind of a weird, a weird thing. Uh, but I'm never more reminded than when I'm hanging out with some of my Gen Z friends, you know. Um, and then especially now even my children because now even like they are old enough to hate on my age, you know, and be like, well, Daddy, do you, is everybody as old as you are? And I'm like, I, I don't know. Um, and I'm like, no, no, son. And, uh, and so here's the thing, like, um, man, when I'm hanging out with them, I'm reminded, but I'm reminded sometimes with like the most random things that I'll pull out, you know, because I'll be making a, a joke or a reference. And I'll be like, yeah, yeah, what was your AOL instant message screen name, you know? And just laughing, and they're like, huh? What? Or my favorite is when they're like, oh, yeah, I read about that at the Smithsonian. That's that, like, Internet thing you guys had, right? And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Uh, we took Zeke. Um, and the kids, well, the other kids were there too, but Zeke is the one who had the big mouth. And we took him to a museum, and they looked, and it was just one of those regular telephones that hung on a wall. Anybody remember those? Okay. And, uh, like, I know this is crazy, but, like, we used to have telephones that, like, were in the house, and you couldn't take them anywhere. Like, they stayed where they were. In fact, we bolted them to the wall. All right, and they had cords around them. And if you were really fancy, you got one of the really long cords, right? That could stretch. And you know, I'd see my grandma; she's able to cook and clean, and you know, get on to Lewis and everything because the cord was so long, right? And uh, so, believe it or not, like we used to live that way. I mean, it's crazy to think that. And uh, but one time, I was having a conversation with with a group of people. And I was talking about it, and I just asked this question, and it reminded me of just kind of how far removed we are, but kind of a heavy question. But I asked the question, hey, do you remember where you were on 9-11, right? And every generation has their where you were question, right? Like before that, it was where were you when Kennedy was assassinated, right? And everybody has a where were you uh, question, and I guess for me and my generation, I was in the 11th grade, and I remember the news, and it, it really affected me. And, and so now I'm thinking through, like, how do I explain this to my kids who are, like, literally 20 years removed from this event, two decades? Like, guys, that's an entire generation. And so now, now I'm sitting there, and I was asking them, like, so where were you guys? Like, do you remember 9-11? And, like, all of them were like, yeah, we weren't born yet. I, there was one person that was like, yeah, I wasn't walking. I was born, but I wasn't walking yet. And, and I just was reminded of how, how old that I am. But um, guys, we have to remember, like so much of the population wasn't, wasn't even born when 9-11 took place. But could you remember, um, now granted, they've been through a lot, right? Because now their where were you is going to be, hey, you remember that weekend in March, the whole world got shut down uh, because of COVID, right? So every generation has a where were you moment. But I want you to imagine what would it be like um, to live in a country during wartime, okay? 
And for some of us, we can imagine that. Like maybe it was 9-11, especially in this area. There's maybe even some of you here today who go, Brandon, I was working at the Pentagon that day. Or, or, or Brandon, you know, I, like, like we can kind of imagine that and remember that. Or maybe it was like COVID where like we kind of had a wartime type mentality, right? Everything was so different that it was just like, man, what is this? And, and imagine like a little bit of that just living in a country in that sort of environment things would be radically different, wouldn't they? And at Impact Church, one of the things that we say is we believe church should be more like a battleship than a what? Cruise ship, right? We, we should be more like a battleship, more like we're in a fight or a battle than like a cruise ship, like we're just hanging back, hanging out. And so Paul is kind of ending this letter a little bit reminding Timothy like, hey man, you're in a battle. There is a spiritual war happening around you all of the time, whether you realize it or not. And so guys, as a Christian, as someone who is following Jesus, our mentality spiritually should be that of urgency and realization that we are in a war. And uh, sometimes we realize it when things are going wrong, and then other times we're not quite as aware, but it's always happening around us. So let's dive into 1 Timothy chapter 6, and I want to start in verse 11. Um, just for those of you here, I like to preach through passages of the Bible. I'm not just starting randomly in the middle of a chapter. We covered the um, other verses last week, so you can go back to the podcast and listen to those. But for sake of time, I'm just going to dive right in to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. I'm going to read a verse or two at a time, and then I'm going to stop and explain it, and then we'll dive back in. That's how we're going to roll today. All right, 1 Timothy 6, 11 says this. Paul writes, But as for you, O man of God, Flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Now let's stop right there. Um, Paul starts off and says, but as for you. What he's doing is drawing a comparison here because he just got done talking about a love of materialism and a love of controversy. And he says, man, they've got people who just crave controversy and crave materialistic uh, things. And he says, but as for you, O man of God, flee those things. And what Paul is doing, he's making a contrast. And uh, you can put your name in there. It may not be, oh, man of God, but you say, you know, oh, woman of God, oh, man of God. But as for me, I, if I'm pursuing God, have to flee those things. But here's what I love about the Bible is the Bible, like, it doesn't just tell us things to stop doing. The Bible tells us things we should start doing. Okay? And I don't know about you, but I don't res- I'm a little bit of a rebel at heart. I don't respond well when people tell me I can't do something or shouldn't do something. You might as well just open the door of opportunity and tell me to do it. Okay? Do not push the red button. As soon as you turn your back, the button's getting pushed. Okay? Like it's just, just kind of how I roll. So I'm really thankful that even Jesus, but all throughout Scripture, God doesn't just tell us things to stop. God tells us things that we should start. Um, I want you to look at that verse in verse 11, and I want you to underline or circle that word flee, the word flee, because this is an active word, right? This is not just a, oh, you should, uh, you know, you should, you know, just kind of walk away from those things, or, oh, you should just try not to do them, or, oh, what? no, this is like an active, you should flee from them. Like, I want you to think about the word flee in a, in a wartime mindset, right? Like, if you're in a battle, and the enemy is coming, and, and your commander looks at you and says, run! You're not going to be like, well, what is going on over there? You know, like, no, you are out of there. Like, we got to go, you know. Like, it is time to, to get gone. And I, like, I look at that, and that's what God is telling us our attitude should be like when it comes to sinful behavior. Like, when it comes to anything that displeases the Lord, our attitude doesn't need to be, well, what's going on over there? Or why is there, you know, why, what, why I want to be a part. Our attitude needs to be, let's get the heck out of there. Because there's nothing good that's going to come from that. It's a wartime type mentality. And, uh, and so, man, I, I love this because a lot of times when we, um, when we deal with sin at church, I think sometimes like it feels like a long laundry list of things we can't do, 
right? And what ends up happening is we run through the laundry list, hear all the things you can't do, and then we send you home and you just feel like garbage, right? You just feel guilty where you're like, man, I know I shouldn't do those things. And sometimes we even make commitments at church. Man, this week I'm not going to do that. I, I am, God, I'm serious this time. I'm not going to do that. And then we walk out and we just continue the cycle of sinful behavior, which leads us to a cycle of guilt. But guys, listen to me. At Impact Church, we don't live in a cycle of guilt. We live in a cycle of grace. And that's what the, the gift the Lord Jesus has given to us. And so, so here's the deal, okay? If you just leave here today and go, well, that's what I'm going to start doing. Every time sin pops up, I'm just going to flee. I'm just going to run away, all right? Here's the problem. You will always be running. Like, you will, you will never stay anywhere for more than five seconds at a time because there is sin abounding all around us, okay? So the mentality is not for a physical fleeing, but for a spiritual fleeing, for a protection of our hearts. Because here's the thing. Jesus is way more concerned with changing your soul than changing your behavior. Your behavior, we already know is not good enough. If you, were, if you ever had your terrible twos, then you've already blown it. The point is, is that Jesus alone can come and change you from the inside that will lead out. So many times what we want is we want to change from the outside. And the problem is that's like covering up you know, a, a, a horrible smell with another horrible smell, all right? It just doesn't work, all right? It's like, uh, and so I, I just look at that and I go, man, so what does Jesus want from us? Jesus wants to change us from the inside. So he gives us a list of things. And for some of you, you're like, man, this is it. Like, I love lists, Brandon. I love lists. I love organization. I love spreadsheets. I love telling me like it is. I love something blunt and plain and bland. And uh, this is your day. This is for you. Jesus sees you, and this is for us, all right? <laughs> and so I love that, like, God's not talking to us about what he's calling us away from, but what he's calling us um, to pursue, all right? So there, there are six things he tells us to pursue. If you're taking notes, write these down. Number one is righteousness. He says, hey, instead of, like, spending your day just trying to avoid sin, pursue righteousness, because as you pursue righteousness, your run-ins with sin will become a lot less. But see, righteousness is not passive. Righteousness is not something you will bump into in our culture. Righteousness is something that has to be actively pursued. And so what is righteousness? Righteousness is a similar word to godliness, or I would just say right living. It is saying, man, I want to do everything the way God says. That's righteousness. And so we pursue that. Number two, it says pursue godliness. Well, man, what is godliness? Godliness is simply being more like Jesus. Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And so if we want to be more godly, we want to be more like God, then we'd be more like Jesus. And, uh, and Jesus is a little bit easier to say to be like because God is in heaven, and I can't really relate too much with that. But Jesus came down in the form of a man as fully God, and that I can relate to. And so if you want more godliness, then read one of the Gospels this week. Seriously, just start reading through the book of Mark or, or the book of John and just start reading through. And every time you see something Jesus did, you underline it and go, man, that's godliness. That's what I need to be doing. All right. Number three is faith pursue faith. This is, the, in my opinion, during a wartime, one of the hardest things to do. Because faith means that you live not by sight, but by belief. So I'm going to make this decision, not because I see the results of it, but because I believe God is able to. Faith says that I'm going to follow Jesus even though I don't see everything that would make me comfortable. I'm going to do it because I believe in my heart that he has risen from the dead. Like, like this is it, but we have to pursue faith. Guys, listen, faith is not passive. Faith is not something you're going to bump into on the sidewalk. Faith has to be pursued. And I think it's super important because Hebrews says without faith, it's impossible to please God. It all starts 
with a central core belief, listen to me, that Jesus is better. That is faith. Faith is believing that when you are tempted to become materialistic, that Jesus is better. That when you are tempted to to succumb to that addiction, that in that moment you think to yourself, Jesus is a better high than this. That's faith. Number four is we're told to pursue love. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that we can pursue all, all of these, but if we didn't pursue love as our motive, then they're all stupid. That's what that's the the Brandon version. That's like that's it. it, it if, if love is not at the central core of our motive behind why we're trying to be righteous, why we're trying to be faithful, if love isn't the core central motive, then you will even make these things sinful. Isn't that crazy? That's how jacked up we are is that even our best efforts to pursue these things can still become all about us unless love is our motive. And you go, well, Brandon, I love myself a lot, but it ain't about you. It's about love for God and love for others. Number five is steadfastness. This is one of my favorite ones. Steadfastness is almost a similar word for patience. And the biblical definition of patience is long-suffering. It literally means, like when people say, man, Brandon, just pray for patience. I just, I think I'm struggling with patience. I need to be more patient. What you're literally saying is, I need to suffer a little bit longer. That is long suffering. Yeah, y'all be careful asking me to pray for patience for y'all. Because I don't even use the word patience. I say, Lord, help them suffer. No, I don't really do that. I think it, I don't say it. So I don't know if that counts or not. It's up to him. Steadfastness means you're going to stay the course. It means if you got to suffer a little bit longer, you're going to do it because you're going to stay with Jesus. Because it is better to stay with Jesus even when you're suffering than to live a life of luxury without him. That's how good Jesus is. And so we pursue steadfastness. Here's what that means. Sometimes the easiest thing to do is to pack up and leave. It's just the easiest thing. And listen, <laughs> Living a life of faith means sometimes steadfastness means you stay until Jesus has made it abundantly clear that it is time to go. And that comes with a level of maturity. It comes with trying, but that is a wartime mentality, isn't it? We're going to stay the course until we can't. And, uh, and so sometimes it takes more faith to stay than it does to get up and go. And number six is gentleness. Gentleness is just that. <laughs> it's saying, man, I'm going to pursue to be gentle in every aspect. A lot of times when I think gentle, I think of a, a sweet little puppy is what I think of. You know, oh, you just got to be real gentle, you know, because I'm always telling my kids, you know, anytime like they're running at something, I'm just like, gentle, gentle. You know, I have no idea if it works or not, but I, that's what I yell because my point is like, slow down, take your time, be aware, right? And be um, intentional with what you're doing. Like take a moment to assess the situation. And guys, that's what gentleness means for us. So sometimes that means gentleness in our texting. Okay? Sometimes it means gentleness in our conversation. Gentleness will always guard you against gossip. Always. Because if you are truly seeking to be gentle in your heart, then you cannot gossip. So gentleness is a whole heart mindset. Okay? So the fact is, if you're busy pursuing these things, then God will be changing your heart to flee from the other things. All right, let's keep reading verse 12. Y'all still with me today? All right, I'm about to start preaching. Here we go. First, <laughs> all right, First Timothy 6.12 says, Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, a couple of things I want to talk through, but let's go back up to verse 12 where Paul says, fight the good fight. 
because we're like, hey, I thought we were Christians. I thought we're not supposed to fight. Like, what's the deal? And the fact is, like we said in the beginning, we are all in a war. Listen, there is a God who, wa- who lives in heaven who wants you to spend forever in his good presence. And there is a God in hell who wants you to live forever separated from the good presence of God. And they are consistently 24-7 at war with one another. And your heart is in the middle of it. That is always happening. And so the question is not, are you in a fight? The question is, are you fighting back? So Paul is going to give some encouragement to this church on how to fight back, on what it looks like, in a, and how many of you way <laughs> to fight back, because how many of you know there's an ungodly way to do it, and how many of you are really good at it? Okay, well, nobody's raising their hands on that. I thought it was kind of funny because I am really good at the, the ungodly way. So here's some encouragements. And you can write these down, but I'm just going to list, uh, man, it looks like there's six encouragements here in this passage. And I'm just going to go through them really quick. Here's the first one. If you're taking notes, write this down. Some encouragement, if you're in the middle of the battle, is that God has called your name. God has called your name. And man, when you're in a battle, even if you know that it might lead to destruction, there is nothing better than to hear the commanding officer say, Hembry, I know you. I know you exist. I know everything about you. I know what's happening. I know the war. I know the plan. I know what's happening. And I know your name and you're up. Man, it's something comforting to know that the commanding officer knows our name. We are not a number on a sheet of paper, okay? We are not just some person taking up a uniform, some body, but yet we are a name because a name means you are known. And that is why this is so amazing that God has called your name. In verse 12, that's why he says, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. That eternal life is that life of salvation that Jesus calls out your name. Listen, salvation is not a religious act. It's not something you do to avoid hell. Salvation is being, having your sins cleared so that you can know and have relationship with the holy God of the universe. And that's what you, listen, you were called to it. It didn't just happen to you. You didn't just pick yourself up by your bootstraps and walk an aisle or say a prayer and make it happen. You were called to it. When Jesus saved you, he called your name. He knew you. And man, that, how encouraging is that when you're in the midst of a battle? To know the one in whom is in charge of the battle knows your name. Here's number two. Number two, the encouragement is you have confessed your faith. You've confessed your faith. In, in verse 12, um, he says, which you made the good confession. And that good confession is the confession that you belong to Jesus. And so he's reminding the church that even in the middle of a war, the hope that you can cling to is that you belong to Jesus. But the word confess, check this out. This is pretty cool. The word confess is actually a wartime uh, in this language, actually a wartime word used meaning to take a stand. And it's kind of like a similar word that we would use maybe in the courtroom, like I'm going to go take the stand, right? And I'm going to confess or tell what I know as a witness. But that, all of that actually comes from a wartime mentality that we are taking a stand. We are confessing what has happened to us. And so it's amazing that you have taken your stand. Like if you know Jesus, you have already professed, this is what Christ has done for me. Man, and I love that he says, you took your stand in the presence of many witnesses. Guys, what that means is I took my stand before two people, before God my Father and before community. And when you're in a wartime mentality, those are the two groups of people that get you through it. God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and your community. And in church world, we use the word community not to mean community as in Spotsylvania County or the Lees Hill community. When we say community, we mean biblical community. We mean oneness, togetherness, your church family, your community group. 
man, you have taken a stand. So God says, number one, I've called your name. Number two, you have confessed your faith. Here's number three, encouragement, write this down, that we are to live in light of God's presence. We are to live in the light of God's presence. In verse 13, Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God. <laughs> How cool is that? That these, these words that are happening are not just things that it's like, well, okay, the Bible says I'm supposed to do this. But Paul is going, no, 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 God is with us right now. Like the presence of God is with us right now. And I'm telling you these things. Now, you're in a war, but the presence of God is with you. <laughs> like he says, this is the God who gives life to all things. Like that God, the God who gives life to all things is with us. God is with you. <laughs> like, like when you just are tempted to feel alone, when you are tempted to be discouraged, when you are tempted to feel like you can't go on the battlefield anymore, when you are tempted to feel like, uh, man, just you'll never quite get it or you keep falling into sin, remember this, the Lord is with you. It is the whole point of the gospel. The whole point of the gospel is that there is no longer separation between God and us. We are now together in a relationship. Man, come on, that's good. Here's number four. Number four encouragement is that Jesus is the Savior who died for you. Jesus is the Savior who died for you. In verse 13, he says, Jesus made the good confession. Isn't that so good? <laughs> he says, hey, while you're out there taking your stand, while you're out there making your confession of faith, Jesus was standing before Pontius Pilate, being accused, absorbing all of the accusation, ultimately on the cross, absorbing all the wrath for all of sin, for all of time, for all of humanity, making his stand. That our stand, let's be honest, it may last like five seconds. Like, it does not take long for someone to change your mind or knock you off your stand. Yeah, I'm, I confess Christ, and then something happens, and it's like, oh, I don't know what I believe anymore. Like, we, can, we are that wishy-washy sometimes. And that's why an encouragement is that when your confession doesn't feel like enough, lean on Jesus' profession. That Jesus confesses that your sin is paid. Like, when you don't believe me, when you don't believe what you read, when you don't believe your own heart, brother, sister, believe the work of Jesus on the cross. Believe that he has paid your sin in full, that he has already taken the wrath of God, that, that Jesus stood before the accusers on our behalf, made the confession that he is truly God. And he died on a cross and he rose from the dead. Do not forget what Jesus has done for you. I know that it's easy to do. And I know it sounds so elementary. You're like, Brandon, I didn't come to the kids ministry today to be told Jesus loved me and not to forget it. The problem is, even as adults, let's be honest, come on, sometimes we forget the simplest of truths. Life gets so complicated that sometimes we just need to remember Jesus loves us. Here's the next encouragement he gave. Number five is that Jesus the king is coming back for you. Jesus the king's coming back in verse 14. It says, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus. He gives us encouragement that one day Jesus is going to come back and he is going to make all things new and all things right. That one day he is going to come and he is going to reign over the heavens and the earth. And under his rule, there will be no more sin. There will be no more cancer. There will be no more death. There will be no more sickness. There will be no more slander, no more hurt, no more unemployment. There will be no more problems. No more. All of that will be cast as deep as the, as the sea. And Jesus will come and he will make all things brand new and right. Until then, Jesus says, Hold on to what I've given you. Hold on. And what has he given to us? The gospel. Hold on to this good news because I am coming back. And on that day, the war will be won forever and it will be so worth it. And here's the last one, verse um, or number six, is that we are to live in awe of God's greatness. And I just want to read 
these verses to you. It's just kind of an encouragement, because I think Paul is telling them, like, okay, be encouraged by this, and this is what Jesus has done for you, and be encouraged by this, and I know it's a fight, but you got to hang in there and remember this. And then Paul just bursts out into worship. Like, he's like, he can't hold it in anymore. And, and look what Paul does in verses uh, 15 and 16, starting in verse 15 in 1 Timothy 6. It says, Paul says, which he will display at the proper time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. Man, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Man, I just want you, I want you to reflect on that with me today. He says, now to him who is the blessed. Man, you know what that word, isn't that weird for God to call himself blessed? Like, isn't that something we usually do when you sneeze? It's like nobody says like, you know, uh, okay, well, God is blessed by your sneeze. Instead, we say God bless you. And we, we always, when we're leaving someone, we say, well, God bless you. May God bless you. And it's always God blessing someone else, but have you ever thought about the fact that God is blessed? That word blessed means ultimately satisfied. It means that they have found ultimate satisfaction, which means God is 24-7 all the time ultimately satisfied with himself. It's amazing. That means there is not a moment you are going to come to God with anything that he is not in a good mood. It means he is always satisfied, that there is nothing you could add to him to make him more satisfied or more great. He lacks nothing. He has it all. He is the blessed one. And then look, it says, and he is the, I'm in verse 15, and only sovereign. That word sovereign means in complete control. And the word only means only. It means he is, God is the only one in full, complete control of all things. Man, somebody feel the weight falling off your back today. Because what that means is that it's not just that you don't have any control, but brother, sister, I got good news, maybe bad news, depending on your mood today. You were never in control. That there's actually never a moment you're in control. There's actually never a moment that you are determining every single outcome for everything. God is doing that. And it's not even our job. Like there's nowhere in Scripture that it is said, when God lacks sovereignty, you pick up the slack. <laughs> not in the book. He is blessed and he is the only one in control. It says he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. God is not just a king. <laughs> he is the king of all kings. Which means every, like back then the word king meant complete authority. Could you imagine back then Julius Caesar? Or could you imagine back then the highest emperor or king getting down on their knees and bowing, putting their face to where their nose touched the dirty ground and worshiping anybody? And God says, that's what happens to me. That the kings look at me as their king. The word Lord meant someone who owned everything. Like if you owned a room, then you owned everything in the room and you were called the Lord of that room. And God says, even the lords who own things, they give it back to me. The Lord is the Lord of all the lords. Like this is who we're worshiping today. Like, did it ever cross our minds as we're singing songs to him, as we're reading his word, that we are hearing the words from the king of kings, of the Lord of lords, that that's who he is. Look at this, he says, then he says, who alone has immortality. That word immortality literally means eternity. Cannot perish, cannot die, is there forever. And notice it says that word again, he alone has immortality. We're going to die. And it's going to be totally out of our control. There's going to be nothing we can do about it. Some of us are going to live 90, 100 years, 120 years. Some of us won't. And the fact is, you and I have absolutely no control over it. 
But God has full control even over his own eternity. Like he is immortal. When you pray to him, your prayers will be kept for an eternity. When you trust in him, you are trusting in someone who will never go bad. It will never grow mold. It will never forsake you or leave you or or diminish in his strength or his power. He is immortal. And then it says he dwells in unapproachable light. I mean, can you imagine this? Like, you're, sometimes we think we're just going to go up to heaven, we're going to climb up in the throne, be like, what's up, God? It's good to see you. You're, you're my homie. You know, like all this. Like, we think that we're going to do that. Listen to me. God, when we talk to him, we are talking to someone who right now is sitting in a throne who has hundreds of millions times hundreds of millions of angels surrounding his throne, singing and shouting that he is holy, 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 and among around his throne is unapproachable light. That it, you can't even approach it. That that's how holy he is. That's how powerful he is. And church, listen to me. When we pray, that's who's listening to us. When we stand and sing and worship, that's who's bending his ear to hear us. And that is who is well pleased with us who follow Jesus. Man, this is amazing. It says no one has ever seen or can see. And to him... Man, be honor, be eternal dominion forever. Man, that's our God. You think if you're going through a battle, you want him on your side? Yeah. I could imagine for those in a battle, that would be really encouraging. Let's finish up here in verse 17. And uh, it says here, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Interesting, Paul comes back to this issue of materialism and our love for money. Do you see what a big deal this is for our hearts? Like, I know we don't like churches talking about money, and I'm sorry that so many churches have abused that and given us reason to not like that, but church, it's in the Bible, and it's in there for a reason, and it's even a problem in a lot of churches for a reason, and it's not, the problem is not with money itself. It is with the hearts who deal with the money. I want you to see here that Paul even says, you know what, one more time, I just circle back, make sure you guys understand, quit living a materialistic life. Stop putting your hope in your riches. And I hope you guys see that what we've talked about today, living a godly life, is in such contrast to living a materialistic life. Do you see how you can't live this life where you're talking to a God who is the only sovereign and the King of kings and the Lord of lords and saying, man, he has full authority in my life. But at the same time, I need this house. I need to live this lifestyle. I I need this amount of money. And to be honest with you, in Northern Virginia, most of the time, it's not the amount of money that we need. It's the lifestyle we want to live. It's not that you, we all need a certain amount of money. It's that we need a certain amount of money to live the way we want to live. And the problem always goes back to our hearts. God says, man, don't you see? Living a life for me is, is like the total opposite of living a life for materialism. They are not at all similar. You cannot mix the two. And you're going, Brandon, those are strong words. They're not mine. Jesus said in Matthew 6, you cannot love God and money. That's not Brandon's version. That's like original Greek. You can't do that. So church, listen to me. Don't put any more hope in riches. Don't do that. 
riches, materialism, your houses, your cars, your jobs, they are all uncertain. They could literally be gone tomorrow. And while I pray that they're not, and I pray that that does not happen to you, if you are in love with money, I pray that you will repent of that today so that it will not happen to you. Because God will go after your heart. He is not after your riches or after your poverty. He is totally after your devotion. And church, listen to me. I am begging you today. If money is a reason that you have not followed Jesus as deeply as you know he is calling you to, I am begging you to repent of that today. To put it away. To nail it to the cross and live in freedom to do exactly what Jesus has called you to do and trust that he will provide for all things. Look at what it says in verse 17. As you go, Brandon, I know God will provide, but doesn't that mean that I'll have to live like in some shack that doesn't have AC and I'll have to like barely eat food? And doesn't that mean like you're saying God wants me to live that way? And I'm saying, I don't know. That's between you and him because God does call some people to go to those places and live that way to share the gospel among those people. So I'm saying we should be open to that. But what I'm also saying is the word right here in verse 17 says he will provide us with everything to enjoy. And that God telling you to repent of your materialism and love of money is not to suck the joy out of your life. It is to show you true enjoyment. You are not sacrificing your joy to follow Jesus. You are gaining joy to follow Jesus. So he says, instead of focusing on money, focus on doing good and being generous. I think that that is a command for all of us today. Don't you love, again, how the Bible doesn't focus on what we shouldn't do, but focuses on what we should do? It's not about just walk out of here feeling guilty because we have too much money and we're spending it wrong. And we're not. No, no, no. God says, I don't want you to leave here feeling guilty. I've already provided grace for that. Confess it. Repent of it. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to live a lifestyle of generosity. I want you to live a lifestyle of doing good <laughs> and using your resources to do good. If you have a home in an empty bedroom, there are probably people who need a home in an empty bedroom. If you have a dining room table that has extra seats at it and you consistently eat meals at that table or could, then it is you have an opportunity to do good to people in our city. We don't have to just meet them out at the park to give them food. We have amazing hundreds of millions of dollars worth of homes represented in this room right now that are immaculate, amazing buildings that could be used for the glory of God and the good of our city. We have so much to do good and be generous. So the last plea in worship team, you guys can go ahead and come up, is how do we guard, how do we guard this? Oh, sorry, I should read it to you. <laughs> verse 20, let's finish up. Wouldn't that be bad if we got all the way to the end and I didn't read the last verse? That would be horrible. That's the first time I've ever done that. Okay. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 20, it says, O Timothy... Do you hear his fatherly voice? Oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Amen. Paul tells Timothy that he should guard the gospel. He says that which is entrusted to you. What he's talking about is the message of the gospel. Paul says, above all things, you're in a battle, you're in a war right now, so you need to guard the gospel. And the way you do that is you avoid irreverent babble. You don't get involved in all those things. You avoid knowledge that contradicts the Bible. And you avoid swerving and you cling to grace. And can we just be honest, man? Aren't those three things that are really hard to do? It's hard to avoid irreverent babble, especially on places like social media and group texts. It's hard to avoid knowledge that contradicts the Bible because we want to be loving, right? 
And it's hard to avoid swerving and clinging to grace. Because we're so tempted to swerve every time we read a post on social media. We go, well, that sounds right. The problem is, if it ain't got a Bible verse attached to it, it's probably not. We want the Bible. So church, I want to encourage you as we finish up this series that, man, we're planting a new church, and this isn't always going to be easy. In fact, sometimes it's going to be downright hard. We're in a battle. And let me tell you why, when it won't. It won't be hard if we decide to just get a bunch of people from other churches who like things here better, and so they come and fill the seats up, and then we start having what makes us feel comfortable as a church, and we sprinkle in some good works to make ourselves feel good, and then we have a church for the next 50 to 60 years. That will not be that hard of a mission. That, that could happen pretty quickly. Um, there are books written about ways to do that. Let me tell you what's hard. What's hard is while you're in the thick of a battle, to go meet someone else who's in the thick of a battle. And to show them gentleness and love. And show them, hey, you're in the battle, but you don't have a weapon. Here, would you like to meet with me to talk about the weapon that will help you through this battle? It is God's word. And God, <laughs> he is the only sovereign. And he can fight for you. Church, that's a longer way and sometimes a harder way to fight this battle of church planting. But I'm convinced it's the biblical way. And so I know there will be times it won't be comfortable. There will be times we'll long for the cruise ship. But brother, sister, listen to me. Jesus is coming back. And one day he's going to make all things right. That's his job. That's his responsibility. Until then, let's grab our swords and let's go. And let's know that we are not fighting for victory, but we are fighting from a victory. And that victory was won when Jesus died on the cross and forgave our sins. And then it was ultimately won when he walked out of the grave three days later to proclaim ultimate victory. Brother, sister, listen, we're not planting this church to have victory. We're planting it because we already have it. And his name is Jesus. Would you guys bow your heads and pray with me? Hi, Pastor Brandon here. Thanks again for listening to our Impact Church Sermon Podcast. If God has spoken to you today or you have a prayer request you'd like to share, please email us at hello at impactfxbg.church. If you're local to the Fredericksburg area, we would love to see you for worship in person. But if not, please let us know if we can help you find a gospel-centered church right where you're at. Feel free to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram and on our website, www.impactfxbg.church. Until next time, keep living the dream.